welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Two weeks ago, we started a, a new series in which we will be looking at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, relevant always, but especially for a couple of reasons. Firstly, that the day of Pentecost is rapidly approaching. I think it's a week on Sunday. 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit came, as we read in Acts chapter 3. So we're coming into the season of the, of the day of Pentecost, a powerful time in, uh, that birthed the church. And also, we are a Pentecostal church. It is Gateway Pentecostal Church, and it's something that is part of who we are. It is part of our DNA. As I said a couple of weeks ago, Don started by looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, that he's not just something that is an add-on to the Godhead. It's, he's not a means to an end. He's not a way of making something happening, happen or just to see him move in power, that he is a person. He is a full member of the Godhead. And we need to be reminded that he is someone that we need to get to know as a person and walk with him and talk with him in the realities of our life. Last week, we, we shifted to another area and began to look at the power of the Holy Spirit, and in particular, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we focused on, on a list that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are a number of other lists, which we will get to a little bit later on very quickly, but we systematically worked our way through some of those gifts. We didn't get through to the end, so we're going to pick up uh, where we finished last week and do that this evening. But I want us to start by reading that passage. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. And it says this, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, writes these words, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Last week in that list, we got as far as healing, and we concluded by looking at the ministry very briefly of, of Bill Ratton in the early part of last century, an incredible prophet, incredible gift of healing, and we, we came to a conclusion there. So I want to pick it up tonight by looking at the whole area of working of miracles. It'll be just a, a light touch, but I just want to look at miracles. And personally, I believe that we are far too quick to use the phrase, oh, it's a miracle, 
Sometimes I hear that and I'm just thinking, gosh, that's very quick to hear. That's a very quick conclusion to come to. And I sometimes think that we are quick to say something is a miracle, but it may well be something as a, as a result of God's goodness or of his grace, but it probably isn't a miracle. A miracle is something that happens without any intervention, without any explanation whatsoever. We don't need to, and I use this word hopefully advisedly, we don't want to cheapen miracles simply to try and get people excited or sadly in some arenas stirred up. God still does miracles. He is a miracle-working God. He is still in the business of the miraculous. A miracle is an inexplainable thing which amounts to the suspending of natural processes to allow something that God intends to happen. It is the suspension of what is natural and normal that God moves in to, int to bring about his purposes. Jesus walking on water was a miracle. I strongly believe, I believe that through Pentecost and through the Holy Spirit, that miracles still happen today. You know, when we talk to some of our missionaries and when you hear missionary stories, sadly sometimes in other parts of the world they seem to happen more than in, in our culture, in our context, and that's a whole different subject. But you hear some incredible, incredible miracles that defy logic and defy human reason and therefore by definition are miracles of God doing something incredibly Wonderful. Chuck Smith puts it like this, and I, I love the way he puts this. A miracle is something that is humanly impossible, but divinely simple. Difficulty always has to be measured by the capacity of the agent that is doing the work. When God is the agent doing the work, talk of difficulty is absurd. I love that. That when we're talking about a miracle and we're talking about God, those things go together. They are just so natural. They are not hard or difficult for God in any sense. Slightly different slant from, um, from Tim Keller, which I think also provokes us to think around this subject, which is really, really, I found it fascinating and took me off on different tangents, but I just want to leave it with you. Christ's miracles were not the suspension of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. They were a reminder of what once was prior to the fall and a preview of what will eventually be a universal reality once again, a world of peace and justice without death, disease, or conflict. just found that incredibly fascinating, incredible insight that he says this, this is like, that will be the norm, that is the natural. And I just wanted to throw that one out there for, for you to think about it. I meet many people who have difficulty in accepting the theology of miracles or let alone miracles, and it's not because that they don't love God. Far from it, in fact. Some folks love God, but the whole talk of miracles makes them uncomfortable. The step mentally and intellectually of stepping outside the realm of the natural and the natural phenomena is just too much for them. It's not an issue of whether they love God or not. They clearly do. Therefore, when you talk about a miracle, they are naturally resistant because the jump intellectually is too much for them. It is too much for them to really grope, uh, grasp, I should say, the whole area of something supernaturally happening. However, I do believe with all my heart and as we read the Bible and as we look at what God is doing around the world today, that he is a miracle-working God.
It may not be part of our experience very often or, or at all, but that doesn't mean that there isn't something that we need to pray for and want and to desire and seek after his face for. The gift of prophecy. Prophecy, in part, is a foretelling of God's word. Challenging, it's a foretelling and a forthtelling of God's word. Challenging people, speaking into our lives with a now word, with something that is now and relevant, and that sense of God speaking immediately into the context of our life. Something really powerful about somebody coming alongside and giving you a prophetic word that speaks into the now of your life. Often we hear those phrases like, man, he must have been reading my emails, he must have been reading my thoughts. That can be a prophetic word given into a now situation that blows it apart because God has spoken through the gift of prophecy. Put in another way, prophecy is is the supernatural ability to receive and communicate a message from God to his people or to a specific person. I like the way that that Don says it, and I I don't know if it's an original, but I don't know if I've got it up. I, I love the way that Don says this about prophecy. Prophecies aren't just limited to foretelling the future. It can involve hindsight into the past, insight into the present, or foresight with regards to the future. I just think that is so good. I just want to say that again because I I forgot to put it up there. Prophecies aren't just limited to foretelling the future. It can involve hindsight into the past, insight into the present, or foresight with regards to the future. You know, added to all that we talk about in prophecy, prophecy is for the building up of people. It is not for the exposing of sin or bringing condemnation and guilt. That is not biblical prophecy. That is not biblical prophecy. So if you've ever been in a situation when somebody has said that they have a prophetic word for you, and that's not biblical prophecy. As you can see, we're going through these at quite a clip tonight. I want to talk about the discernment of spirits. The sermons of spirit is the gift that gives one the supernatural ability to know what is right and wrong and to see and discern what spirit is operating in a given situation, what is right and wrong, to know one's heart. When we talk, when we talk about the discernment of spirits, which comes from 1 Corinthians 12 verse 10, the, the Greek word in the original, when it talks about spirits, it is at least plural, if not multiple. So it's not just the discernment of spirit, it is the discernment of spirits. And so therefore it can be discerning what is of God, the Holy Spirit, what is of the demonic, what is of Satan, and then what is of the human spirit, what is of flesh. And very often one of the biggest challenges one has pastorally is to distinguish what is going on in someone's life. Is it God, or is it the enemy, or is it just the human spirit? Have you ever been around a person, have you ever been in a situation where you find yourself or, th- or thinking to yourself, something just doesn't feel right? You've been around someone and outwardly everything seems fine. They act in the right way, they, they say the right things, their behavior is right, but you still feel an unease about them. There is something that just makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. There's something that you just can't define and, and are unable to put your finger on it. 
And then after a period of time, you hear something about that person, you hear about something that they were doing, or they were into something that was not right, or they were just getting involved with things that they shouldn't be, and you just think, I knew something was wrong. Does that ever happen to you? That can be the discernment of spirit of God just making you sometimes a little bit uncomfortable in a situation. You know, and this is something that is just very, very personal. I um, This is going to sound harsh, so it's not meant to be harsh. I'm just telling you. Uh, um, I, I, I can sometimes, I'm sitting with people and they're just telling me some great, great story or great, I don't know, where they find themselves in. And I just instantly know that they're lying. And if I know the person quite well, or I, I want to say it direct, they said, I said, well, you're lying to me. And I said, and after they say that they're not, and then they say that they are, and then we get through all that. And the only way that I can say it, and I don't mean it to sound harsh, and help, I've never said it to any of you, I hope, but this is just a very personal thing. I knew you were lying because your lips were moving. That's how clear it is sometimes to me when I'm sitting with people. And you just think, gosh, I hope he never says that to me. But every time that you say it to someone, you've got to say it kindly and gently, and you ease yourself in. With the, but for me, it's as clear as that sometimes. When I know that I'm dealing with something that is lying in front of me, or someone is lying, it's as if, because I know they're lying because their lips are moving. It's that discernment of when you find yourself in a situation. This is how that gift of discernment works. It's, a, it's an intangible something. You know, this happens at the micro level and the macro level. That we are called to have discernment at a personal level with our friends, with our colleagues, with our, with our family. And we're also called to have a discernment with the whole wider body of Christ. Peter says to us in 2 Peter 2 verses 1 to 3, but false prophets are among, uh, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you, you will secretly bring, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even design, denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will flow, follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It sometimes worries me. If I'm honest, it sometimes worries me how some believers can be taken in by the latest, the new, the fashionable, the trend that is happening in theology or in Christian circles or even in charismania. We need to be careful. We need to show a real sense of discernment of spirits. What is of God? What is of the Holy Spirit? And what is of the enemy? We have to be able to sit and discern, and, and part of that comes through our own discernment, but a lot of it comes through what has God said in his word down through the years. Friends, this is not a subtle call to be suspicious and cynical, but to be discerning. Different kinds of languages. The God-given ability to speak in language or languages that you've never learned and do not understand. And of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is by far the most controversial. Theological debates really heat up when you get talking about the whole area of speaking in tongues. I have to confess, and uh, it may be because I'm not that bright, but I, I find the whole argument quite bewildering. Mark 
chapter 16, verses 15 to 17 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. You will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, there are those, and it may say this in your Bible, that there, who say, well, that was a portion of Scripture that wasn't meant to be there originally. You can go and have a look in some Bibles and they'll say that, and some Bibles won't. And they'll say, well, we're not 100% sure if that, if that passage or those few verses were in the original manuscripts. And so we can't really, really put all our eggs in that basket and say, well, that, that's 100% true. You know, that, I find that quite... Fascinating in some ways. It's, an, it's interesting to note that the early church used it. The early church quoted it. Some of the earliest church fathers, Arrhenius, A.D. 140 to 202, and Hippolytus, both quote from these verses that are disputed by later scholars. You know, some scholars believe that John, who wrote Revelation, could have written it as late as AD 90 or even up to AD, AD 100. And so this guy is writing 40, 50 years later in the context of history and in the context of the canon of Scripture is not long at all. And these guys are quoting it. But some say, no, it shouldn't, shouldn't be there. The other question I can't quite work out is if God, down through the ages, took so much effort to put the canon of Scripture together that he made a mistake here? Surely, surely, if he wanted these verses to be excluded, he could have had them excluded. You know, I think we've got to look at the whole tenor of Scripture in this whole speaking of tongues. Some, some folks struggle with this particular gift and use the argument that they don't do it if they don't understand it. Well, if I don't understand it, I'm not going to do it. If you take that logic, ultimately, you wouldn't be saved because we are saved through faith. And a lot of what we're called to do in the whole realm of the Holy Spirit is to move by faith. We do not understand the whole workings of salvation, but we receive it. Christ comes into our life. We don't fully understand how tongues and all the whole area works, but it's there. Now say something and quickly move on. It's just like a bit of a hit and run here. So in regard to speaking in tongues, you may have heard it say by some that tongues is not for everyone. That tongues is not for everyone. And then they go on and say, well, Paul says that. Well, the answer to that is yes and no. But we need here, and I'm just going to briefly touch on it, that the Bible talks about the personal use of tongues and the public use of tongues. And they are different. The personal use of tongues is for personal edification, for, do, uh, for devotion and building oneself up. The public use of tongues is for a public word given by God through someone. And we'll come on to the interpretation. They are two separate, completely different gifts in that sense. So when Paul says, I wish everyone speak in tongues, 
He is talking about the personal, private use of tongues. And when he uses the phrase, and it's in, I've got it here in my notes, I think it's 1 Corinthians 12, not all people speak in tongues. We must look at the context of that, and he is talking about the public use of tongues. They are two completely different functions. And not to see that as being disingenuous to the, holy, to the, the Scripture. One is personal, and I believe is available to everybody. One is the public use of tongues, which is not for everybody. It is for a certain function. I'll just leave that there. Gift of interpretation, as I just already made a quick reference to it. Interpretation is not translation. The ability to speak or to interpret what God is saying through someone speaking in tongues. You may or you may not have been in a, in, a, in a gathering here or somewhere else where somebody comes and they give a public message in tongues, which I've just made reference to, and then there needs to be the interpretation of that tongues. There's some rules and guidelines around it in Scripture, but that is what this gift is all about. It is being able to interpret a tongue given in an unknown language to a public who is listening in another tongue. So somebody comes, they give a tongue, and the translation would come in English. If it was back in my country, that translation would come. It could be the same message, but it would be given in Welsh. That's what it is. That there is a public gift of interpretation. So we've gone through those really, really quickly. And now there are other gifts that are easier to understand and don't need so much explanation. Romans 12, verse 7, gives us a list of gifts. Serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy, being kind. Ephesians 4 says there are apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and much more. And then there's some other fun ones in the New Testament that are listed as gifts. Hospitality, celibacy. Isn't that a great one? Celibacy. Did you know celibacy is a gift? Voluntary poverty, martyrdom, and the list goes on. A gift from God to us, the body of believers. But it's a gift. It's not an ability. An ability is a talent that we will have worked on, we will have trained, we will have developed. But this is, not a, this is not an ability. This is a gift from God that is supernaturally given to us. We develop our gifts as pastors and teachers in that sense. But the gifts are given by God as a gift to the body. A gift is something that is given but not earned. So what are they for? Well, they are not for us to feel good or important. They're not for that. Oh, I've got the gift of prophecy, or I've got the gift of a word of wisdom. I don't mean this flippantly, but who cares? That's, that's not meant to be flippant. It's meant to be, it's a gift. God has sovereignly given it to you. Let's talk about your life. Let's talk about who you are, not what you can do. But God has given that the gift for the body, of G, for the body and for us all. It's not, look at me, I have a gift. According to Ephesians 4, the gifts are given to us so that may, we may equip others, that we may be able to build others up. If you have a gift and it's not building other people up, I don't think you're using the gift correctly. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. It's about helping other people. It's about helping to equip the body to do the service that God has called it to do, to help others fulfill their 
ministry. Musicians, please come and join me. We've gone through tonight's extremely quickly because we're going to come and just going to have a somewhat of an extended time of, of worship. You know, I, I finished last week by quoting Jack Deere, and I pulled it forward so that we could look at it last week without, as we run out of time. But I want to look at it again tonight, and I just think it's such a, such a good way of seeing things. Sometimes when you have spent a long time rejecting the gifts of the Spirit and come to believe in them, you almost feel as if you are being born again. You feel as if you have a whole new Bible. But that latter statement, I mean that the gospel and the acts come alive for you in a way that they have never have before. Things that you have relegated to the first century now become a possibility for today's church. Friends, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to the body. They are available to each and every one of us. And if, in your, if it's part of your, your history that think, no, no, no those, those finished with the apostles or those are not relevant for today, I'd like to encourage you to think again. I'd like you to think again about what Scripture says in, in, in light of, of teaching. I would encourage you to say, God, show me, reveal to me, speak to me, give me. And I believe the part, what, we, what we need to do is just to come and worship him. And say, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life, here I am, with our hands lifted up and our hearts open. It may be different to what we have learned and maybe different theology to what we've ever experienced before. But the reality is today that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to come and equip ordinary people like you and I to do the service that he has called us to. Let's all stand, please. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.